This is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thanks so much for tuning in. I have my Bible open to Proverbs chapter 23. I hope that you'll grab a Bible and study along with me, read along with me. I've been looking forward to studying with you as always. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, please feel free to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org or email us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear your comments, answer your questions, uh, set up a study with you if that's your desire. This morning we're going to be thinking about hindrances of truth-seeking, or things that are obstacles that stand in the way of our finding truth and, and receiving truth, really, as well. And I want to begin in Proverbs 23. I think that's an appropriate place to start uh, because of what the writer says with regard to truth in Proverbs 23. In verse 23, the writer says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Uh, so we see that truth, biblically, is, is invaluable. It is the means by which we are sanctified, as Jesus says in John 17 and verse 17, when he's praying there, sanctify them in your truth, Father, your word is truth. And so that last part of our reading in, in verse 23 of Proverbs 23, buy the truth and sell it not. I think it's rare in our day and time to find people who are sincerely uh, uh, earnestly seeking the truth and desire to know what truth is, who are investigating honestly and objectively, and who aren't going to tolerate half-truths or put up with partial truths, but people who are willing to reject just any hint of, of error. And that not out of pride or because they want to exalt themselves, but again, because they have a, a genuine realization that the, that the Proverbs writer is speaking about, that truth is invaluable and that truth is found in the Word of God. Isn't it fair to say that most people in the world just aren't like that? It's been said that the Bible is the most bought but least read book. And how sad that it's a bestseller and yet so many people are unfamiliar with its content. Some folks choose to be that way, and others have been hindered in their search for truth. And so I want us to consider four things this morning that might stand in our way, that we could allow to stand in our way and hinder our search for truth. And it's it's my hope that as we consider these things, of course, we will not be hindered, but we'll recognize if, if something is amiss in our own life, and remove it if it is an obstacle so that we may seek the truth and apply it to our own lives and in turn teach it to others. And the first thing I want to submit to you that I think can stand uh, as an obstacle, as a, as a hindrance to seeking truth, is a fear of being wrong. Uh, so somebody said once said that truth has nothing to fear, meaning that regardless of what the consequences may be uh, of, of learning either something from the Word of God or just generally speaking, something uh, that's going to jar me or rub me the wrong way. I, I'm going I, Because I value truth so much, I'm not going to be afraid of what the consequences are because I want to know what the truth is. And I think we find an example of this in Matthew 
chapter 21 and the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, of course, in Jesus' day were very religious people, uh, but they were also deeply afraid of being wrong. And they are also deeply afraid of their error being exposed. And so you look at this exchange that the Pharisees have with Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 21, where his authority is, is challenged. It says in verse 23 that when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so here we see the legitimacy of, of asking the question like this, you know, that the Pharisees start out with in verse 23, by what authority are you doing these things? You know, we want to make sure, as we studied a couple of weeks ago, uh, that we have authority for all the things that we think and say and do in our lives, that they are in fact affirmed by the, the word of God. Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In other words, he has to have his guarantee stamp on it if we're going to conform our lives to his will. And so uh, the Pharisees, even though they are insincerely asking this question, it's still a legitimate question. And we want to know, uh, we don't want to do things that have no foundation or authority behind them that aren't biblical. Uh, but it wasn't their question alone where they went wrong, right? It was it was the, the reason that they were asking it and, of course, their response. And we know that many of the Jewish leaders failed to accept John the Baptist that Jesus is referring to here as a prophet because if you look back in Matthew chapter 3 and earlier in the other Gospels, he's exposing the hypocrisy and he is calling them a brood of vipers and saying, Who warned them to flee from the wrath to come and will admonish them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And so in, in Jesus' response to their question about his own authority, he is calling their attention to John and to their, to their response to John. Who, what was his identity? And in doing this, Jesus exposes their error and they're afraid of this. Because regardless of how they answer, they know things aren't going to go well. Verse 25, they feared their own error being exposed. They began reasoning among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Jesus will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say his authority was from men and was vested in himself, they were afraid of the people's response. They were afraid of the people's wrath in verse 26 because they understood that the, the populace, the vast majority of people, understood John's authority was from heaven. And that's the point. And so either, either way that they answered, uh, they were going to be in trouble and they were going to be exposed. They were afraid of being wrong. And so rather than owning up to that, rather than owning up to that, they say, we don't know. We don't know. And they close their eyes to the truth. And how foolish is that? The outcome is going to be 
punishment. If we're afraid that something is going to expose our error and we realize that we're in error, wouldn't it be beneficial to correct that? It certainly would have been in this case. There's another example I want to call to your attention. This one's from Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, as, as a result of his efforts and his ministry um, and preaching the gospel, he was imprisoned on a number of occasions, and he uh, be specifically, because, not because he had done anything wrong, but specifically because he was preaching the gospel, and he found opposition in a lot of places. And in Acts chapter 24, we, we, we find him again in prison, and he is standing before uh, this man named Felix in Acts 24, around verses 22 and 25, we get a glimpse into this exchange that, that he has. So as a result of being in prison, he often had these opportunities to preach to others the gospel. And, and people like kings or were like Felix who were governors and had some sort of authority. And uh, this is one of those those occasions where he's before a political leader. He's defending his position. Uh, and so this man, Felix, we see, has some familiarity with matters of faith, but he also had some familiarity with matters of sin. And look at what happens here in Acts 24, uh, beginning in verse 22. It says, Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, that is referring to uh, Christianity, he put them off, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he gave orders to the centurion for him, that is Paul, to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness and self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Again, this is another sad instance that we read, and we, we like to think that Felix was sincere, and we learn from history that he was in an unlawful marriage, and that may very well be the reason that the types of things that lead Felix to feel afraid that Paul is dis discussing about here when he says uh, in, in, in verse 25 that he began to speak about righteousness and self-control and judgment. Right after that, it says Felix was scared. And so he chooses to dismiss Paul. His sin is being exposed. He knows that he's wrong. He knows that he's amenable to these things that Paul is saying. He's speaking about faith in Christ Jesus, verse 24 but he's simply going to put them off. He says, when there's a more convenient time, I'll summon you. But there's no indication in the record that he ever did that. He chose not to overcome that which brought him to fear by owning up to it and, and, and correcting it, just like the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 21. May it never be the case in our own life that we are afraid to accept the truth because we are afraid that our sin might be exposed, that the error of our thinking might be exposed. We need to own up to those things so that we may receive the truth and hear the truth 
and practice the truth, as John says in 1 John 1. So fear of being wrong can stand in the way uh, and, and act as an obstacle in, in our search for truth. But also, number two, uh, the cares of this world can keep us from obeying the truth and, and hearing the truth. You know, the enemy works a number of different angles in order to stir people away. And he doesn't always have to uh, come up with these elaborate, complex systems of, of error. That's certainly true that he has. Uh, and many people have been caught up in the webs, webs of those things that are masquerading as religion, but they're just philosophies of men, and they do so much harm, and, and, they're, and they're sinful. But sometimes the only thing that he does to turn us away is just to get us so involved in the cares of this life that we're distracted and that our minds are so occupied uh, that we convince ourselves that we just don't have time. We don't have the time to seek truth, to study truth, so that we may buy it and sell it not, as we read in Proverbs 23 and verse 23. And I think Jesus is speaking to this point specifically in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, this is one of the instances of the parable of the sower that's recorded for us. In Matthew 13, and if you look in verse 22, this is now as he is, he's already told the parable, Jesus has told the parable of the sower, now he's explaining it here in verses 18 through through 23. Uh, and beginning in verse 22, it says, The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, that is the word of God, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So you think about the parable of the sower, and you recall that some of the seed fell among the thorns, and it was choked out. And, and in Jesus' explanation of this teaching, he's saying that what that means is, is that uh, uh, the seed that is sown in the human heart, the Word of God that falls upon the human heart, is choked out because people are so enamored with the worries of this world. Or the deceitfulness of wealth is another, things that, another one of the things that he names there. So these are folks who are just overly concerned with the cares of this life to give any thought to truth, and so they starve themselves of it. And they're convinced they don't have any time for it. In 1 Corinthians 7, in connection with this point, I want to make, I want to make another one. Certainly Jesus speaks to the deceitfulness of wealth, and uh, we know that the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil or all kinds of evil, depending on your Bible translation. Uh, but the cares of this world, not necessarily sinful in and, them, in and of themselves. Uh, for example, uh, we're commanded to work and to provide for our own uh, families. And Paul will say in 1 Timothy 5 that if a man does not provide for his own, he is worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. And so some of the things that can be a distraction and can choke out the word aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 7, in verse 33, uh, about marriage, for example, that one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife, in verse 34, and his interests are divided. So Paul is speaking about marriage in the context. And he, know, he's not talking about sinful things, right? Marriage is a good thing. Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is to be undefiled and held in honor among all. Um, so he's talking about lawful kinds of things, but still... They can hinder us from seeking truth. We can allow them to stand in the way. Another example is found in 
in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. So in the, the narrative of the gospel here, these women that Jesus uh, loved along with their brother Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus here, he comes into their home on this occasion, and the women uh, welcome him, and Martha, of course, is busy making preparations and Mary is listening to Jesus as he comes into the house, and he's sitting there, and he's teaching. Um, and it says, as they were traveling along the road, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary, you see in the next verse, is listening to, to the word. And Martha was distracted, verse 40, with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. So we find these two women who are very close to Jesus, and certainly we can understand Martha's concern, and in fact what she's doing is is commendable. She's being a good host, and she's practicing hospitality. She wants to make sure Jesus is taken care of, and that he has what he needs uh, physically, and that everything is in its place, but there were higher priorities here. There were higher priorities that she needed to be attending to, and she was in a position where she had the opportunity to hear truth from the mouth of none other than the Savior of man. But she was overly concerned with other things. Now, those other things certainly weren't sinful in and of themselves any more than it's sinful to be uh, married. Of course not. Again, just as it's not sinful to to have a job and a career and to work to support our families, Bible commends all of those things and commends, again, marriage. It's to be held in honor and we're to be hospitable to one another just as Martha was trying to be for, for Jesus. But if those things ever stand in the way, uh, rather they can stand in the way and be a hindrance uh, to hearing truth, then we need to re-examine our priorities. If we're too busy for studying God's Word and, and seeking His truth, and we're just too busy, we're not going to be effective people and, and acceptable people to God simply because we're busy people. It's, it's not the quantity of things that we do, it's the quality of things. And that was where Martha fell short. She, had again, had an opportunity here to hear the, the truth of God and so we need to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be hindered from seeking truth because we're so distracted and caught up with the cares of this life, as legitimate as they may be, that we allow them to be a reason to stop seeking truth, allow them to be an obstacle to us. So we can't allow our fear of being wrong or exposed in our sin to stand in the way of our receiving truth and seeking truth and certainly not the cares of this world to act as an obstacle. And we can't allow, number three, our overconfidence in the understanding of others to be a hindrance to seeking truth. Uh, so what do I mean by that? How can our overconfidence in others' understanding of the Bible, of Scripture, uh, be a hindrance to our seeking truth? Let me give you an example from Amos chapter 7. Uh, so going back to the Old Testament now, Amos chapter 7 of course, Amos was a prophet of God, uh, sent to prophesy to his own people and to convict them of their sin. And he lived in the days of a king named Jeroboam. 
Uh, and this was a king who continued to lead people in idol worship and false religion and had his own temple and priesthood and things like this. And there was another man named Amaziah who we're going to see in the text who opposed the efforts of Amos. So Amos is sent by God to declare the truth of God and to convict people of, of the sin including the, that they're involved in, including the king. Uh, but Amaziah stands in his way. Uh, uh, stands in the way of Amos who's trying to preach to people and get them to turn back to God. And so uh, Amos chapter 7 and verse 10, we see that exchange beginning. It says that, that Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel, and the land is unable to endure all of his words. For this, Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. And Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy of Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. And Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, of the Lord and, and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. So Amaziah, we have to remember, was a false priest as he's as he's contradicting Amos here in the words of Amos, a prophet from God. And so in the midst of this circumstance, Jeroboam is caught in the middle. Amos is addressing Jeroboam the king. Amaziah has the king's ear. And who does Jeroboam end up listening to? Well, Amaziah, Jeroboam's confidence is in Amaziah and not, not the truth. He assumes Amaziah must, must be right. He was, after all, highly regarded and being a priest, he would have had status in that society, of course. But here, Amos, who was not mighty by his own admission, he was from humble origins, and God told him, even though he was a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs, to go to his people and speak his truth. And sometimes it can be very easy for us to like someone we respect so much that when it comes to spiritual matters, that rather than seek the truth for our, ourselves and investigate the truth for ourselves and, and hold up what others are saying against the scriptures, uh, what we do is we just end up going to that person that we admire and we think is so knowledgeable. And uh, we just say, what do you think about that? And then we just go with whatever uh, they, they say. I think people make that mistake a lot of times with with preachers, right? Uh, you know, that reasoning from the secular world, you know, that, you know, that says when I'm sick, I go to a doctor. I don't know what's wrong with me. So I go to the doctor. The doctor tells me he's the expert. He's a professional, so he can tell me what's wrong. Uh, I don't always know what's wrong with my car, so I need to take it to a, a professional. Again, I take it to the mechanic, and he can tell me what's wrong because he's the expert, and I just go with what he he says. But uh, we can't carry that reasoning over into spiritual matters because each of us is responsible for discerning truth. First Thessalonians 5.21 teaches us that we and the individuals must test all things Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. You see, ultimately, our understanding and our confidence must be in the source of truth, not in someone else's understanding 
of truth. And that's a dangerous place to get ourselves into if we ever find ourselves in that position where we're solely relying upon what someone else says rather than what God says. And I'm not saying that it's wrong that we can't use uh, other people as our sounding board, of course, and, and get their get their thoughts. Uh, but we go too far when we when the buck stops with them, when what they say is is the bottom line. So rather than uh, taking their counsel for what it is as, as a human perspective and not holding it up against the scriptures, uh, um, we uh, we just buy what they say, hook, line, and sinker. Um, but th- that's dangerous because that person we trust and respect so much could be wrong. They could be wrong. And that was the case with Jeroboam and Amaziah. Rather than listening to Amos, Jeroboam chose to listen to Amaziah and put his confidence in him. But Amaziah did not have the truth. Amos was the source of truth in this case. God was speaking through Amos. And of course, we have the Bible today as the living word of God. John 12 and verse 48, Jesus says, The word that I spoke is what will judge each of us at the last day, at the day of judgment. And lastly, what can stand in our way of seeking truth and be a hindrance to us is simply a lack of love for the truth. And this is something that Paul speaks to in the book of Second Thessalonians. So if you want to be turning to Second Thessalonians, so Paul gives a number of warnings here about falsehood uh, that would deceive and lead people into to error. And uh, we're picking up in the middle of a thought here. But he says, beginning in verse 8, that uh, as he's speaking about this time, he says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to the end, bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Uh, in verse 9, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. So, here in verse 10, Paul is pinpointing a reason why so many are going to be swept up with this lawless one that he speaks of, who who is an ally of, of Satan and works with Satan and leads people into falsehood. Why are they caught up in, in his teaching and his doctrine? It's because, Paul says in verse 10, they perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved so you know there's a lot of speculation and conjecture we could have about who specifically Paul maybe had in mind back in, in verse 9 but that's not what I want to focus on uh, rather what I want us to notice is that what, what is said about again those who will follow him or those p- kinds of people who live that kind of pattern uh, in accordance with Satan as Paul says so that we won't be counted among them and what Paul says again in verse 10 is that They had no love for the truth. And so some won't seek truth because they find too much pleasure in falsehood. And that's not necessarily talking about immorality uh, and ungodly behavior and things like this. Certainly that would be the case and those things are included. But sometimes there are falsehoods that are clothed and wrapped in religiosity and again masquerade as as religion, and, and they look and they sound good and they sound wise, and people just fall in love with these things. 
and people are led to feel safe and secure in, in what they believe, all the while not realizing it's it's unrighteousness. It's not it's not the truth, and so if it's not the truth, it has to be falsehood. It has to be something else, no matter how good it appears. And so we have to be careful that we don't fall into this category of people that have no love for truth, that lack the desire and the passion to pursue it. And when they discover it in God's word, buy it and do not sell it. Proverbs twenty three twenty three that we began reading with earlier this morning. If we are to seek truth and gain it and apply it to our lives, there are things that are going to stand in the way, and we've considered a few of them this morning. Lack of love, overconfidence in someone else's understanding, being afraid of, of, of being exposed in our sin and our error and the cares of this world. All of those things can act as hindrances to our seeking and, and pursuing truth. But I hope that we won't be allow any of those things to get in our way and realize that if we are to find truth, we are to seek it first at all costs. Do not sell it. Never compromise it, no matter what the world or the enemy may offer in its place. I want to thank you again for tuning in this morning. I've enjoyed studying with you as, as always and hope and pray that you'll consider these things and uh, along with me as we strive to learn more about God from His Word and, and what His will is for us so that we can be pleasing to Him and ultimately find a home with Him in heaven through the grace of His Son. I'm Jason Garcia of the Leon Valley Church of Christ and this has been Faithful Sayings 